to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 10. Matthew, chapter number 10. You know, one of the great difficulties in life, and it becomes more apparent as we grow older, I think, but it's not just a matter of us growing older, it's a matter of the way that the world is constantly changing, but one of the big difficulties is overcoming insecurity. I mean, you just read the headlines in the newspaper, watch the news, and you'll, you'll understand why I say that. Because everywhere we look, uh, we see difficulty and danger. Life is hard, and we're weak. And most of the time, we feel vulnerable in some way, fearful, pessimistic. And uh, I mentioned a word this morning that is, that is the solution for that problem, and that word is providence. The actual meaning of the word providence means to see before. And when we talk about the providence of God, it's talking about God's gracious oversight of the universe. God's gracious oversight of the universe. He's not only watching, He's working. You know, the Bible talks about God being the Creator, but not only the Creator, by Him all things were created, and by Him all things consist. He, he's the one holding it all together and running the whole operation. So God is in the largest disaster and the littlest detail of our life. And regardless of the situation, no matter how bad it looks, a child of God and the will of God can say, it is well with my soul. If the storm is raging all around us, we can have, like the little song says, peace like a river. And um, if the news is awful... In spite of the bad news, we can have joy like a fountain. When the earth is trembling all around us, we can have a peace that passeth all understanding because we have a firm foundation. But the sad thing about, about this is the fact that most people don't really have any hope of help, and that's because they do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, He offers everything that we need but if we refuse to receive what He offers, then we're not able to enjoy what He provides. You know, it's one thing to sit back and to wish things were better. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people that's doing that. Well, I, I, you know, I wish this would get better. I wish this would change. Uh, but it's one thing to sit back and do that, and it's another thing to do what's necessary to make things better. And we're going to look at some things here tonight that I think will make each one of us our life better for us. Last week, I preached about, at least in part, about seeing God. But today, uh, I'm going to speak about God seeing you. I don't know what title to give to this unless that would be it. God sees you. God looking at you or whatever. But, but that's what we're going to talk about. I'll never forget the first time that I heard Ethel Waters so many years ago. And the first time I ever heard 
someone saying his eye is on the sparrow. And boy, especially the way that she sang it, it immediately became one of my favorite songs. But it wasn't until many years later that I learned the story behind the song. It was written by a woman named Sevilia Martin. She was the wife of a Baptist preacher. And she described how this came about. And I'm, I'm going to read just a few lines from, from exactly what she said. In the spring of 1905, that's been a year or two ago, right? In the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York, we contracted a deep friendship with a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for over 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them what is the secret of their joy in the midst of pain. Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. If his eye is on the sparrow, then I know he watches me. And then she goes on and says, The beauty of this expression of simple faith gripped my heart. And that same evening, I wrote the words for the song. And the inspiration, of course, for that comes from here in Matthew chapter 10 and beginning in verse 28. It says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. And throughout this entire chapter, we see how God takes care of his children and from this we learn that regardless of what our situation is, we can rest assured that our Heavenly Father watches over us and He helps us. And He helps us in several different ways. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. The fact that God has His eye upon us for the purpose of helping us in regards to several things. The first thing has to do with our foes. Look at verse 16. Verse number 16 and 17, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus is sending his disciples out with this warning that they're going to be like sheep among wolves. You know, that's another way of him saying, I'm going to put you guys in an impossible situation. I'm, I mean, they didn't stand a chance from the human standpoint. They don't stand a chance because 
Sheep are nomads for wolves. They don't have any hooking horns, no cutting teeth, no claws. I mean, you know, they're about the most helpless thing that you can imagine. And he uses that terminology to describe them and the situation that they're in. And then, lo and behold, verse 28, and he says, and fear not. Really? <laughs> well, we're, we're like sheep in the midst of wolves, and, and you're telling us to fear not? Uh, that sounds unreasonable, right? But that's exactly what it says. This, the Greek word that is translated fear is the word that we get the English word phobia from. And my, there's so many different phobias. In fact, uh, uh, one source said there are 254 different forms of phobia. And uh, you could probably add a lot to that. But the fact is, we... You know, we live in a time where there are a lot of things that people are fearful of. And here he's talking about the fear of our foes. And he's talking about people that would kill us. I mean, listen, these these enemies of of his followers were not playing games. They beat them. They imprisoned them. They literally killed them. And... Uh, I don't know, but putting myself in their shoes, I, you know, I might have looked at him and said, you know, Lord, do you have any easier assignments? You know, I, I'm all for this, but I'd rather teach Sunday school. I mean, boy, I, I you know, I, I hate to go out there. I hate to go out there in these cities and start preaching a message that's going to be despised. And I hate to deal with these people that are so dead set against what we stand for. Isn't there something else I can do? I'll play the piano. You know, I, I, I'll do anything. But Lord, don't send me there. You know, but the fact is, whenever we know what God wants us to do, we ought to do it regardless of what the cost is, the conditions are, or the circumstances, or the consequences, you see. Some way we get it in our mind that if His... If his demands are difficult, it excuses us from duty, and it really doesn't. We think about them. One of my favorite pastimes whenever I was first saved uh, was reading the biographies of famous preachers and missionaries. And, wow, I mean, you talk about something that will put steel in your veins. You read about what those men and women went through for the sake of preaching the gospel over in some nation among some people that didn't even want them there. They were despised. They were threatened. They were persecuted. And in many instances, it was uh, like William Carey. It was like seven years before he had his first convert. Imagine that. I mean, just devoting your life to the preaching of the gospel, knowing these people hate you, they don't want you there, and year after year after year, not one single convert. And the Lord says, I'm sending you fellows out like sheep among the wolves. It's going to be difficult, but that's the assignment. And then he says, fear not. Um, now, you know, whenever we follow the Lord, sometimes we think, all right, if I'm doing God's will, if I'm following the Lord, if I fulfill His commandments, well, then I'm going to get an exemption from suffering. And that's just not true because 
he suffered and we're going to suffer. That's, that is a part of the price that we pay. Here's the thing we've got to remember. Although he doesn't keep us from suffering, he keeps us in our suffering. And when I say he keeps us in it, I, that's not like saying he keeps us in hot water all of the time. I mean, he keeps us, he guards us, he protects us, he enables us even though we're suffering. He enables us to do what ordinarily we couldn't. That's why I started out by saying this assignment was something that was humanly impossible. Sheep among wolves, that, that just won't work. Well, it did work because they had the faith and the courage to go on in spite of what fears that might have gripped their heart. Fear not your foes. But, but then whenever you come down to verse 18, I want you to notice, and this goes all the way actually through verse number 31, I'm not going to read all of this, but just enough of it so you'll get the picture. Not only whenever you're facing your foes do you need to remember that the Lord has his eye upon you, but when you're facing fear itself, and there's a, there's a difference. I'll talk about that in just a minute. No, he goes on and he says here, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake for a testimony, notice, against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not that... For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up brother to death, and the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye to another, for verily I say unto you, Ye shall not have gone over all of the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Now jump all the way down to the last part of this in verse 31. Fear ye not, therefore ye are more valued than many sparrows. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now I've listed this separately because there's a difference. We don't fear every foe. But sometimes fear comes upon us for no apparent reason. I mean, it's like a, it's like a thick fog that just all of a sudden it's there. If you've ever spent much time on the lakes and the rivers, you know what I mean. You might be out there fishing and, and just all of a sudden you're just find yourself in the middle of a fog. And sometimes that's the way it is with us. I think about the psalmist when he said, why am I cast down, O my soul? I mean, here is a man that just suddenly, mysteriously, was overwhelmed with some state of depression. And sometimes we find ourselves engulfed in fear. We can't really put our finger on it. It could relate to, to a disease of some kind. It could relate to debt. It could relate to dissension between you and somebody else. It could relate to discomfort. It could relate to death. And, and sometimes... We don't know what the cause is. We just know that uh, that there's a problem. We're overcome with fear. You know, we might call it an anxiety attack or whatever it is. The point is, whatever the cause, the cure is the same. Whatever the cause, the cure is the same. 
Because whenever we think about overcoming our fears, defeating our foes and what have you, the thing that enables us to do it is have the faith to do what God tells us to do, even though it's difficult. Are you with me? I hope you're seeing the connection in all of this. So I want to send you out there like sheep among the wolves. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be dangerous. But fear not. Just go on in spite of the way that you might feel. And to do that, to overcome that fear, requires faith. Now, here's the good thing about that. If our faith is weak and we're stumbling, as it were, and we, you know, we're just overcome with these fears, do something about it. Because this is curable. This is something we can do. Romans 10, 17 tells us faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's never any excuse for any of us lacking in faith. We can, we can increase our faith, and it is the increase of our faith, the strengthening of our faith, that enables us to do the things God demands of us. There's a, there, there's a verse over in Psalms that I'll, I'll get to in a minute, but it, it's talking about God's observing us and thinking on us and what have you. And that relates to verse 30. Look at that. Notice what he says here. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know, whenever we have a, maybe it's a medical condition, it might be our marital status, a money situation, it might be our mental state or whatever it is, you know, we think to ourselves. Due to the circumstances, I've got good reason to be fearful. But the fact of the matter is, God is our Father. We're always in His thoughts. We're always under His care. And and, and He tells us, as we've already read, the only thing we ought to fear is God Himself. There's no reason for us to, you know, fear man. And when I talk about fearing God, I'm talking about that reverential awe of God. I'm talking about, you know, that... That, that fear of disappointing God, as it were, and that desire to please God. He knows every minute detail of your life. The very hairs of your head are numbered. I got to thinking about that, and, I, and so I, you know, being a bit inquisitive, I did a little research, and I discovered that the average head of hair has 100,000 strands of hair. Now, of course, for some, it's not that much. For some, it's more. But that's just the average. And God takes notice of the sparrow that falls and every head, uh, hair on our head. Now, now think, at the same time that He's doing this, He's the one that's keeping all of the all of the sun and the moon and the stars and everything, keeping them in their orbit. He, he's the one running the whole show. And at the same time, he knows exactly what's going on in our life. Have you ever really read Psalms 139? You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read two verses from there that will make the point that I want you to get. Verse 17 says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them, the number, in other words. If I should count them, they are more than the number, uh, more in number than the sand. When I awake, 
I'm still with thee. Notice how precious are thy thoughts unto me. Think about that a little while. Think about God thinking about you. Not only, not only does he number every hair on your head, he's thinking about you constantly. Now, nobody could do that but God. The angels can't do that. The saints can't do that. Nobody can do that. You know, we can't really seriously think about two things at one time. But God... He's thinking about everything at the same time. And He knows every minute detail in our life. And I love this part that He tells us that the number of His thoughts toward us. Notice, it's more numerous than the grains of sand. Whoa. Think about that the next time you take a stroll on the beach. Personally, I don't like the beach. I don't like salt water. But that's all right. You do, I know, and that's that's wonderful. But the next time you're strolling down the beach and you got the sand squishing in your toes and you look around and you see acre after acre of sand and you think of all the miles of seashore, that's just the sand you can see. There's more sand than you can't see than what there is you can see. And all of the grains of sand, he's telling us that God's thoughts of us are more than the grains of sand. I don't know what that does to you, but that excites me. That thrills me to think about God thinking about me. You know, we get distracted sometimes whenever we're uh, trying to think about something. Uh, this morning I was talking about the fact that I just I can't study if there's a you know a music on or anything else. I, I I've just got to have it quiet and things tend to distract us. I right now I'm fighting a distraction. I'm uh, trying to get through this and feel like I'm making a fool out of myself doing this because my thoughts are feel like they're jumbled up trying to. Forget about the fact that my neck is hurting and, and it's distracting to me and it's frustrating. But God's never like that. God is thinking about us. He's never distracted. Now, sometimes whenever we feel like Job and we feel like that God has forgotten us, Job felt that way. The psalmist felt that way. In fact, the, the psalmist went to the extent that he referred to God as though he were his enemy. He said, oh, thou my enemy, look, Lord, look what you've done to me. You ought to be helping me, and you're treating me like an enemy. And, and sometimes it seems like, you know, sometimes we talk about our heaven being as brass, you know, and we just can't communicate with God. Well, that's never God's fault. If we can't communicate with God, it's not God's fault because He has His attention on each and every one of us. He's never distracted and He's thinking of you whenever you're scared. You're scared about something? God's thinking about you. If you're suffering, God's thinking about you. 
If you're struggling with something, God's thinking about you. If you're serving the Lord, trying to do your best, God's thinking about you. If you're sinning against God, He's thinking about you. Let me add something to that. If you're scarred, you know, so many times people, whenever they do sin against God, and oftentimes one of the reasons they never recover is because of, of Christian people not reaching out and loving them in spite of their faults and failures. But the, the fact remains that sin sometimes can leave some scars in your life that's difficult to deal with. And I want you to know that even whenever you have failed God, you've fallen flat on your face. You did something you should not have done. You acted out of character. You sinned against God. And I want you to understand that God's thinking about you. And, and I, I don't mean He's thinking about you necessarily in a negative way. He's thinking about you in a way in which He can minister to you so as to restore you. He's in the business of restoration. Aren't you glad God restores lives? How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. Great is the sum of them. If I could count them, He said, they're more than in number than the sand. God helps us with our fears. He helps us with our foes. Now look at verse 34. God helps us in regards to our family. Verse 34 through verse 37. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. Now get this, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, not only does God help us when our foes come against us, and they will, and whenever our fears come upon us, and they will, God helps us even when our family turns against us. You know, this, this has got to be one of the most difficult things in life. What my neighbor does means very little to me. He can stand out in the street and curse me. You know, he can, uh, he can hate my guts, whatever. I, I, I'm talking about somebody, you know, I don't even know maybe. I, that doesn't bother me. But when it's somebody that you know and somebody that you love and so forth, and then whenever they set themselves against you, boy, that's a whole different ball game. And it's one of the most difficult things in all of the world to deal with. But understand that when those that you love turn against you, God is still for you. And as we look at this, it's showing us, it's showing us the demands of discipleship and the cost of commitment. Some people got the idea that, well, the Lord came to bring peace on earth. Well, yes, He did, but that's coming, that's coming much later. That peace is coming when He comes. When he comes to stay, when he comes to reign. 
There will be peace on earth in that day. But he says, it wasn't the, my purpose to bring peace on earth. In fact, the result of his coming is what? We said, you know, he's going to set a husband against her, uh, against the wife and the mother against the daughter and so on and so forth. And uh, in other words, there's going to be conflict. Because whenever we determine that we're going to accept Christ as our Savior and follow him as our Lord, we're going to be hated, sometimes even by members of our own family. They're going to hate us as a result of that. Paul said, if any man live godly in Christ Jesus, he shall suffer. There's a price to pay for following Christ. We go back to being thinking of ourselves as those sheep among the wolves. We're, we're living in dangerous territory. But thank God, he who has his eye on the sparrow is watching over us. Now, here in America, it's a great thing that we are somewhat protected from violence by the laws of the land. Isn't that great? Because for centuries, it wasn't that way. In some parts of the world, it's not that way today. And throughout the ages, there have been millions that have been murdered because of their faith in Christ. Let me read something that might shock you, and I want to read it verbatim in just a minute. This is from, from The Voice of the Martyrs, an organization in the publication, and, and it said, quote, More people were martyred for the sake of the gospel in the 20th century than in all the previous centuries combined. As many as 160,000 believers reportedly made the ultimate sacrifice each year. At current rates, one in every 200 Christians around the world can expect to be martyred. Now, now look, I can't vouch for those figures there. I, I don't know how they came up with all of that. But I, I do know that we live in such isolation here in America that sometimes we don't see the big picture. And I realize that whenever they speak of Christians, you know, in many instances, they're people that are only Christian in name. Because a lot of those people that are identified as Christians in another part of the world, they have no clue what the true gospel is. But they call themselves Christians, but it makes the same point. When you identify with Jesus Christ, I mean, that's all it takes. Just identify with Jesus Christ. And the world is going to hate you. And there's not any escape from that, folks. In some cultures, and it's been this way for centuries, in some cultures, when a person becomes a Christian, they are disowned, they're counted as dead by their family. Now, you know, that to me raises a question. Does following Christ mean that much to you? Remember when I started out, whenever the Lord said, look, I'm going to send you out as sheep among the wolves, and I... I uh, hypothetically suggested that maybe had I been there, I would have said, Lord, do you have any other assignments? Uh, I'd like something a lot easier and less dangerous, you know. But the fact of the matter is, serving God is what it is, regardless. And there's a price to pay. 
And those men determined in their heart, we're going. We're going to go and we're going to do what the Lord wants us to do, even though, even though we are fighting against these fears that are in our heart. And we each one need to ask ourselves, does following Christ mean that much to us? Would you still be a follower of Christ if your wife or your husband left you as a result of it? Believe me, that has happened. Would you still be a follower of Christ if you knew your mom and dad was going to disown you and said, get out of here, you're not my son or daughter anymore, I never want to see you again, you're dead to me. Would you still follow Christ? Well, maybe you're thinking, well, I think I'd just pretend, you know, that I didn't care and I'd be a secret disciple. Well, you might want to read what the Lord said about failing to confess Him before others. He said, you don't confess me before man, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. I'm so glad that when it comes to our foes and when it comes to our fears and when it comes to our family, in regards to all of those things, God is looking at us. He's, he's not just looking at us, observing. He's thinking about us. He has thoughts of us in regards to what our needs are. And then the same thing is true in regards to our failures. You know, He not only helps us with the foes and the fears and the family, but, you know, sometimes we fail. And when we fail, that, that you know, that's for a Christian, that's got to be the most embarrassing thing in all of the world to to know that others know that you have failed. Wow, that is so embarrassing because we all want everybody else to think that we love the Lord so much that we're not going to compromise. We're not going to give in. We're, we're going to be faithful. And then, and then we fail. Whenever you read this chapter, be sure to remember who the Lord is speaking to. He's addressing the disciples, those apostles that he called out from among all of the people. Let me tell you, none of them had a perfect record. Every one of them failed in some way or another. And especially whenever I think about that, you know, it's easy for us to point out Peter and to think about Peter's denial of the Lord and his major breakdown, his terrible failure. But they all failed. They all at one time denied the Lord. They all failed. But as I said, God is in the business of restoring lives. You know, even if we didn't have any enemies whatsoever, if all of our family was for us, there are no foes against us, there are no enemies, we would still struggle because in and of ourselves we're weak. I say nobody ever opposed us, nobody ever said anything bad, nobody tried to discourage us, hands off, you know. Everybody was just as kind and gentle as they could be. Each one of us are so weak that 
that we need what only God can provide you. But we've all heard the old saying that we are our own worst enemy. And boy, is that ever true. On our own, we are too weak to resist the temptation against us. But there's some temptation. You say, well, boy, I'd never do what so-and-so did. No, maybe you won't. But there's something you would do if it wasn't for the grace of God. You're too weak to resist temptation. You're too weak to recover from trials. And that list goes on and on of the things that manifest our weakness. There's something that will get every one of us down and destroy us and ruin our lives And that's why we are in such desperate need of the Lord, because we're much weaker than what we think we are. That's why I I like that old song that says, I need thee every hour. Boy, do we ever. Every hour. There's not one minute, there's not one second of any day of our life that we can say, okay, Lord, I got this. Yeah, I heard that sermon this morning, Lord, and I'm, I'm really determined I've got this. You don't need to think about me. You don't need to watch me. You don't need to help me tomorrow. I've got this. I've rededicated my life, you know. I, no, no. You don't got it. We need God constantly in our life. And just knowing, and I'm through with this, Just knowing that we are always in His thoughts, that we're in His sight, that we're constantly under His care. These glorious truths ought to bring comfort to our heart. It ought to bring peace to us. We put our head on the pillow at night. Now, let me tell you, I believe in taking every precaution possible. You know, I, I think the Lord expects us to use common sense. I don't, you know, think just saying I've got faith in God gives you an excuse to, you know, to to throw wisdom aside. He expects us, you know, to pray, but he also expects us to take whatever appropriate measures there that's necessary to protect ourselves or whatever. I, I'm all for that. But having done all that we can do, whether it is to protect ourselves, to treat ourselves, to help ourselves, having done what we can do, and we reach that point that, okay, now there's nothing else I can do. When we get there, I want you to go home tonight thinking about the fact that God's thinking about you. When you go to sleep, while you're sleeping, God's thinking about you. Wow, that that just does something to me. God's thinking about you. Every minute, every day. Don't ever, ever, ever let the devil convince you that God has closed his eyes to your situation or that he has put you out of his mind or that He has ignored your needs, because He hasn't. His eye is on the sparrow. I know He watches me. Let's stand. Father, how we thank You tonight for Your watch care over us.
to know that you know every single thing that's going on in our life. Even in regards to those things that we know nothing about, dangers that are before us that we've not recognized. And even in times whenever we have failed you, in times that we've been overcome with fear and worry and anxiety and things of that nature, Lord, help us to realize that you already know what the situation is and the solution to the situation. And I just pray that we might live in faith. And Lord, for those that are here tonight, that maybe maybe there's been a major faith failure in their life. And I just pray they might get alone somewhere with the Word of God and just soak and saturate their soul in your exceeding great and precious promises that their faith might be increased. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that, that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray they'll not put it off another second, but they'll come right now and trust Him as their Lord and Savior and have the peace in their heart that only a Christian can have. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.